Welcome to Talking Sons, the spookiest podcast about At the Mountains of Dadness made by fans of the show. At the Mountains of Dadness is a podcast about the grandparents of four dads who are teleported to the fantasy realm to reclaim their sons. This isn't that podcast or that other podcast. You should go listen to them both because we don't care about spoilers and we'll spoil everything. Including the remaining two episodes of At the Mountains of Dadness. Seriously, stop listening if you haven't finished this three-part series. Talking Sons, special episode one, At the Mountains of Dadness. Theme music goes here. Wait, no, is it Patang? Patang, 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 Patang. patang. Hi, my name is Jamie, and my granddad fact is that I know where those strawberry hard candies with the syrup centers come from, and where to buy them. No, I'm not going to tell you. Damn it. Those are so good. I just steal the fake ones from Bob's Furniture. (laughs) I mean, like, I know how to make them appear in those those crystal candy dishes, and the candy dish is key, by the way. Hmm. Noted. Tracks. It totally makes sense. My sister inherited my grandmother's candy dish. And uh, let me just say, it stays full of snacks. Yeah, you have to add the Werther's original. You can just buy those in the store. It's like the base for the ritual required. Werther's original or like the Charleston Chew of hard candy. (laughs) I will not elaborate. Next. Hi, my name is Kelly. And my granddad fact is uh, actually a grandma fact because my grandmother, Fortune, was uh, part of the French resistance in France during World War II. So rad. She was a rock star. Right up uh, Henry's alley, huh? Definitely. I think Hildy and Fortune would have been very good friends. It's a baller name. Fortune Bazanti. Wow. Damn. Uh, hi, I'm Nikki, and my granddad fact, besides the fact that I'm losing my voice, is um also actually a grandma fact. Um, my grandma, who's 98, is a very uh, lovely Jewish woman, and my dad sells like holiday sweaters, so we gave her one that said Happy Hanukkah, and it had a cat on it, <laughs> and she uh, wore it to Temple, and she like didn't get it. She was like, why does it say Hanukkah? It should say Happy Hanukkah. So she covered the tea with a post-it note and went to temple like that. (laughs) No. (laughs) Grandpa Miller, I love you. (laughs) Uh, I'm Luke, and my granddad fact is uh, that when I was like 10, my grandparents came for a visit um, right around the time I was super into the anime Hantaro. Because of that, I really, really wanted a hamster. Uh, my parents were super adamant that I wasn't going to get one. But as soon as my grandfather learned that, he went to the pet store and I got a hamster. But she was an absolute asshole and bit the shit out of my hands on several occasions. So, yay! <laughs> Excellent. So, so we all just finished listening to the Patreon three-part special at the Mountains of Dadness. Blah. Surprising lack of blahs in this one. In this series, the dads got bombed. No, in this series, 
the dads got to see the magic of cinema. Yeah, that's it. That's all that happened. They yeah. saw a movie for five hours. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was it was five hours and pretty much like what for the first hour and a half, the dads just had an eye opening experience at a film studio. Uh, hey, hey! So yeah, first episode. Uh, it they definitely set the tone. It was considerably darker than the main podcast, and Anthony really set it out that like, hey, bad shit will happen if your dice fail you, and their dice failed them. Well, and it's just the nature of the Call of Cthulhu game that shit is gonna be bad for everyone. Right. I mean, I I I've only played one game of Call of Cthulhu, and it was like a one shot. And that was basically like uh, Stranger Things. So we were just a bunch of children. I separated from the group and I immediately died. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Call of Cthulhu is hardcore. It is. It is very hardcore, very unforgiving, and combat is a punishment. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, for someone who might, I don't know, have listened to this series quite a while ago and kind of forgot what happened oh like your friend no yeah not me obviously my good friend bicky uh yeah anthony yeah your good friend anthony my good friend anthony maybe you've heard of him um i would just like to know like can someone like run me through like beat by beat what kind of happened in the first episode Okay, so it started off where the four dads met up on the set of J.J. Abrams' movie production, right? And they, uh, Robbie was tasked with finding the, the, the film prints of a film that was in production because it, all the cast and crew had gone missing, I believe. And that is Robbie Wilson, who is Daryl Wilson's uh, paternal grandfather. Yes. So then they uh, followed the trail to a combat situation in a, I guess, like a cursed editing room. And then, uh... Isn't that just all editing rooms? Womp womp. <laughs> That's a self-dig. <laughs> the main difference between uh, the, the editing room here and the one in the story was that the film was just kind of running exposed. So you don't normally run it unprotected like that, I'm told. And then uh, Stud went blind and Robbie ran away in his one cowardly act this entire time yeah he ran away it was it was in character here and then he stepped up later yeah yeah he did yeah yeah <laughs> and then after that what they pretty much boarded a train in the in that episode yeah it was pretty much like stud was blind he got is that the episode where he got glass eyes yes before they went to the editing studio they went to the was it the director's house and it oh, was just yes. like a yep. shit covered uh, apartment so from there, they went to the editing bay, and then they had Meryl audition for um, Heart's Desire, mm -hmm. or whatever the movie is called. Mm -hmm. Not Avatar. Well, that was at the observatory, because he... Correct. Yeah, so he put his eye to the telescope, and we got a little bit more body horror. Yeah, and then he went monochrome, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was, yes. it was while the tendrils reached their way out of the eyepiece and kind of... I don't know, made Eskimo kisses with his own eye, uh, that he was held to view everything and uh, went monochrome. Yeah. A whopping first episode. It, uh, we've mentioned that it really set the tone for the whole thing, which is good because yeah. that's what a, a pilot should do, essentially. Yeah. So the tone is considerably different from Dungeons and Daddies, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but that's just 
that's just the nature of Call of Cthulhu and Lovecraft kind of in general, because his stuff is considerably more darker fantasy than a lot of what we're used to. But not too dark. Yeah. <laughs> no, not too dark, because he was racist. Because he was a racist, sexist bigot. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> that one but yeah so we got to meet the four uh we had we didn't really mention hildy uh she is an intrepid cub reporter hildy is the best character ever a cub reporter is just a reporter that hasn't uh done too much work and hasn't like proven their themselves basically oh they're like literally a cub Okay. Yeah, as like evidenced by her like half-hearted undercover persona, which I don't remember the name of. But like she was not good at being a makeup girl, so why would you pick <laughs> makeup girl on a set? I mean, given Actually, there were more women on sets back then. Yeah. So, Hildy, you have no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she got better by the end of this. That thing. is true. That character growth. Yeah. yeah. So, so cub reporter kind of meant like junior reporter and she was super junior at like everything she was bad at everything except for photography which i think saved her once twice we did we so, only talked briefly about meryl uh meryl streep of he, course yeah. as we all know is glenn's uh grandfather on some side i don't remember yeah. right and mother it doesn't matter because meryl was a hoe yeah, yeah. that's true yeah. There's a lot of things that Glenn doesn't know about his life. Like, real time, we're recording this just after the release of episode 23, where Glenn revealed that he had, he was like a millionaire or billionaire in Bitcoin and <laughs> didn't even know it. Yeah. And his, and his great grandfather or grandfather was, uh, this huge silent era film star. Yeah. And that money just like, it could have disappeared. Well, I mean, as soon as talkies came around, that kind of fell through for him. Freddie saying that Merrill had invested all of his money in booze the day before oh, the end right, of right, Prohibition right. was like fucking priceless. I love all of the random historical shit that they added in. Can we all go around quickly and try to do our best recollection of what Merrill's famous line from that one film was? Because I guarantee you none of us are going to get it right. Even the ones of us who just re-listened to the episodes. Because it was so, like, on the spot. And so obviously <laughs> convoluted, and Freddie actually never said it the same twice. Yeah, yeah so I think, absolutely. can we all just do a quick quick one-two type thing? I'll go last, because I'm the best at impressions. I wasn't going to do an impression. Oh, okay. Because that's just a <laughs> Freddie Wong impression, and nobody needs to hear that. hey oh, get a character voice. <laughs> Hold your body close to mine and rub yourself together against me. It's it's like come here, baby, and hold your body close to mine. No, it, it's it's it. No, it was like come here, baby. Come put your body next to mine and rub a little on me, or like something like that. <laughs> I am having untoward thoughts. <laughs> oh my! I'm having such untoward thoughts toward this man named Meryl Streep. I'm Nikki's grandmother, and I just <laughs> love oh this Oriental man. <laughs> Jesus! Oh, oh my God! Mm. Okay. <laughs> Luke, do yours. <laughs> yeah. I almost got out of it. It was something like, uh, hold your body close to me and rub it a little bit. Or some, I don't, <laughs> fuck. Something, something like, 
I remember right. the rubbing like a billion times. So yeah, like just mash all of ours together, and we're all right. Oh uh, yeah, the catchphrase that made the lady swoon. Um, what was it again? It was uh, come here, lady, and hold your body against mine. And so the the fourth hero or granddad that we haven't talked about yet, Stud Stampler. Stud Stampler. Fucking stud. <laughs> I. I'm, we're all stud stands in this house. Himbo Supreme, baby. We had canonically the ugliest man alive, which was Robbie, and like two hunks, and Hildy, who I also would categorize as a hunk. So like, <laughs> this seems unfair, if I'm being completely honest. Stud Stampla. Yeah, Robbie really had it rough. Yeah, although he was he was primarily there for the cheerleader effect. You know, if you get a large enough group of people together, they're gonna, you know, nudge the, the appearance scale up a little bit, you know, up oh, a yeah. couple points. Oh yeah, Robbie's the ugly friend. Yeah, so <laughs> like it, so it's a dual thing because when he's part of the group, you know, he's rocking a solid six, but if he <laughs> and someone else kind of peeled off, he's a he's a dead one. And that's given those bonus points to whoever he's with. <laughs> Jesus Christ. These are the facts of relationships continuing into today. Um, I just have to say that I 110% was in love with uh, Stud Stampler's earnestness and his belief in doing things right. Mostly because I like to think that I'm an optimist, but I know that I'm just like a, a soft nihilist. So I just, I really valued that. Yeah, like, you know, he lost his eyes and going blind like that in a traumatic situation would send most people into like just a just a spiral that would take them months or even years to climb out of. And he pretty much got over it like as soon as I guess they kind of realized that they were in an audio drama. Which, just for description's sake, he got his eyes shoved into a running film reel and basically got his eyes sliced out while he also saw an eldritch dark future. So he obtained eldritch knowledge at the cost of his eyesight and some rad scars. Dope scars. Some rad lizard-like scars. Yeah, so that was pretty much episode one where we got to know the, the main question hook that brought them in. Episode two was... A bottle episode where they all hopped on a train and stayed on the train through the beginning of episode three. Yeah. And yep. essentially went on a three day journey from California to Tennessee. Yeah. Like there were there were shenanigans, but Absolutely. With this with this group, would you expect anything less? The shenanigans included blending in with a, a traveling film troupe, beheading a train engineer and decoupling some cars. Yeah, normal train stuff. Yeah. Your classic train shenanigans. And also the wonderful telegram usage by everyone. <laughs> Prop comedy using telegram technology. As you do. What are you talking about? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Not stop. Stop, stop. Stop, though. <laughs> Although I do want to highlight that I think for me, the high point of that episode was Freddy completely failing his insanity check twice yeah. and then turning on his people and then swinging his shotgun at Robbie and also botching every role after that. So that way he didn't really do any damage. Yeah, that was that was insanely lucky and just 
a really good note. I mean, it's it's definitely the dice telling in the story, but it it showed like Meryl got fucking shook and couldn't get his shit together. And at the end, what was the name of the train engineer that we got to know? I have no goddamn idea. Yeah, no clue. Thomas. Oh, it was Thomas. Thomas. It was Thomas. It was Thomas. This is his tank engine. His tank engine. engine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember laughing at at it at the time, and then it just like it was gone, just like smoke. (laughs) Um, is this also the episode where they're in a closet and Stud finally hides in some pants? Yes, the magic moment where Stud realizes that his calling is pants, and that was beautiful. I teared up. No, I didn't. But I teared up. <laughs> Although Stud, not the biological father. So that's just a family yeah. trait. Yeah, it's you get the you get the last name Stampler and you just feel an urge to put on more pants, I think. Maybe that's the doodler's effect. Hi, welcome to my conspiracy. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The doodler is an eldritch being of many pants. Yeah, that's that- <laughs> kind of tracks if the doodler wore pants would he wear them this way or 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 this way yeah it'd just be a billion pairs of pants on all of his like undulating tentacles or one big pant (laughs) one big one leg one leg leg but but the thing that you know for absolute certain is that they would all be pleated Mm. Absolutely. You hit it right on the head. Oh, yeah. So they also got a hold of the script. So they found the script to the to the production that they were sent to investigate. And now they're kind of figuring out that maybe they should stop it. I believe the full name was Heart's Greatest Desire, I think. Oh, there we go. Yeah, because I I mean, I don't know, a bland sounding title. Yeah, well, you know, 1930s, whatever. Yeah. Yep. All right. And so... Episode three is where things really kicked up on just about every level. There was a whole lot of sneakery. There was a whole lot of character interaction. There was a whole lot of combat. Surprising amount of combat, because I think a lot of people pointed out that Call of Cthulhu is not a combat-based system. So the fact that they did so much combat in this one and then in D&D, which is arguably a combat-based system, they um, avoid it <laughs> like the plague. Very good. Well, maybe Daryl needs like a six shooter or something because Robbie was just blasting left and right. Yeah, he was cooking fools. Hardcore. Well, apparently in the Forgotten Realms, no technology exists. So like. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't they find a shotgun when they were playing Four Nights? And that's when that fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they shot. uh, What's his? Oh, what's his legs? Oshkosh Bagash, what was his name? Oshkosh Bagash, that was it. Oh my god. <laughs> that wasn't I, it. That I know was definitely it wasn't not it. it. It was definitely not it. Um, Bing Bong, that's not his name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a Teletubby, but okay. Uh, uh, uh. Moose Van Gloos. It was Moose Van Gloos. Yeah, that's it. Bagash. <laughs> I think it has the same syllables as what you were going it, for. It does. <laughs> yeah, I'm a genius, everyone. We all know this. Anyway. Yeah, so the episode started when they started a forest fire and like they totally made Smokey the Bear cry. Their their kind of their go-to was to start the fire for the distraction and it worked, you know, because everyone took more than half damage and got serious injuries because combat is bad, right? Yeah, they basically all got knocked out except for Robbie. Well, nobody was truly knocked out. Right. They got their quote-unquote corpses dragged around by some 
monochromes up the stairs and into the ritual. Yeah. Who in the the episode recording, you know, they they acknowledge that like I guess the monochromes just believed that when you get knocked out, you get knocked out and you don't, you know, go into a coma for 6 months. <laughs> I mean, I think that was just like them dealing with the fact that, you know, IRL, you would have serious brain damage if that were to happen. They had a very (laughs) heated discussion about it. So we're not going to have that discussion here. Yeah, I'm not a medical professional, nor do I play one on TV. Neither are they. (laughs) And then they they went up into the room. So Robbie got up to shenanigans. Robbie! Yeah, (laughs) but I want to talk about like the body horror going on. In We're the not filming stopping room. you, Jamie. <laughs> no, please stop me. Please. No, no, Somebody continue. stop me. <laughs> Ew, no, you're canceled. Oh, thank God. Oh, I'm free. I'm free. So uh, the body horror. Um, yeah. I remember the, the, the flesh slapping to kill uh, Meryl, but I do not recall the other stuff. So, like, a whole bunch of interns, cause, or PAs, because being a PA in Hollywood is the best. Their blood vessels were transformed into film as their veins yep. were pulled from their body. Yeah, it was rad. <laughs> uh... Like, as as much as I'm squicked out by that, that description was extremely unique and definitely made my skin crawl and I had a visceral reaction to it. Yeah, like, you, you know, because normally something being pulled out of you is harmful, but as it's being pulled out of you, it's being transformed into something that's doing more damage. It's just that extra layer of squick that we don't see in modern storytelling enough. So just always know. At any time, if you need film, you have miles and miles of it within your body. So if you need to shoot anything, you already got film within you. The film was inside you all along. Chris. Yeah. Oh, we're we're horrible. Not as horrible as Anthony, though, for making us view that in our mind's eye. <laughs> that's our that's our one per episode. Get his ass. <laughs> all right, and yeah. So J.J. Abrams, not J. Period J. Period. It was J. A. Y. Right? J. A. Y. J. A. Y. Correct. Yeah. So a different J.J. Abrams, because nobody wants to piss off an industry god, uh, was <laughs> making the the film, and he was just such a terrible monster. Like literally. Yeah. So not like terrible as in, oh no, it's a monster. This is not an entertaining fight. He, whenever he took damage, like tentacles just busted out and got extra attacks. It was yeah. it was very dead space. It was super rad. Terrible in the sense of it instilled a sense of terror into your physical form. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they like. If they would have like cut off an arm, like you could just see extra tentacles like flailing out that way. This is not a dude you want to fight because you're not going to win. Yeah, bold to assume I feel fear though. <laughs> it's true, um, but we missed out uh, the fact that they were headed towards the Manhattan Project that was oh, starting yeah. up in Tennessee. Yep. yep, 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 yep. So this is a difference in the D and Daddy's universe as opposed to ours, where. Uh, Apparently, the atomic bomb didn't have really any development in Oak Ridge. So, Oak Ridge didn't happen the way that it happened in our world. Uh, the The nuclear bomb development had to happen somewhere else. I'm not sure how that's going to impact the the rest of the world, though. 
I'm actually like fairly unfamiliar with the Manhattan Project's exact history. So this was kind of just like a fun, oh, that's that's different. Yeah, I liked Googling it and being like, okay, so here's how they fucked that up. Yeah, we're just, I mean, we're going to have to see if it has any effect uh, in the future, but I guess we could save that for conspiracy time. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, I'm sure that there was vital development going on in Oak Ridge, but it's not like that, you know, it was as important as Area 51. Like, they could have just dropped the contract somewhere on the West Coast or, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. Can we define what it is? Um, How did this wonderful, wonderful podcast end? Does your friend need to know? Uh, I'll go. Um, So <laughs> uh, they ended up, like, shooting apart some dude. J.J. Abrams. Yep. Was J.J. the one that, like, smashed Meryl to death? Yes, mm-hmm. with, his, oh, with, with his, his big old face hole. Okay, so yeah, yeah they, they blew to pieces um, J.J. Abrams' face with a gun, and instead of it, like, sloughing off, he could, like, control it like a bad mouth. And so Meryl met his demise with four parts of a head just smashing his head to death. Like, for what it's worth, I, I pictured, like, a giant Muppet, like a giant Kermit the Frog head, <laughs> but with a lot more gore and tentacles involved. Just like, you know, just as Jim Henson originally intended. <laughs> yeah, crazy. It's not easy being green. Yeah, and then the rest of them met their end in very different ways. Yeah, so Meryl died on the mortal plane, and mm-hmm. Robbie made smashed. a handshake with the devil. So the box opened, there was an unnaturally heavy box, and uh, Robbie grabbed it and lunged out of the uh, out of the window. Out of a third floor window, by the way. Yeah, and he rolled really well and managed to, like, parkour as soon as he landed. But unfortunately, the box opened, and so the doodler came out, and also a little bit of backstory came out. So, long story short, Robbie is now one with the doodler. Yeah, and the yeah. doodler was Terrifying. is this eldritch, horrible beast, which is, like, cool. Super rad. I kind of had an inkling. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, it's definitely the doodler. But I definitely had an inkling. I was like, oh, what could the big, big thing be? It might be that. I don't know. But it was a very good reveal nonetheless. I, I mean, very, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a good reveal, but I think that I'd seen it played with on, on the Discord. Maybe not at the level of people who got the live recording or the, the unedited recording, but just people going, hey, so Aaron O'Neill is part of the main canon. What, you know, what if the doodler, you know, the guy that Boreanis was trying to summon was uh, this elder god? Because there's always an elder god at the end of every Call of Cthulhu campaign. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm getting an editor's note here, actually, from... Uh, yes, yes, it is... The note is, it's actually pronounced Chuchulu. He's a fan of trains. <laughs> oh, oh, oh fuck you i opened the discord and i was like there's no way she said that <laughs> yeah so just to to wrap up you know episode three ended with stud stampler uh not previously mentioned as part of listening to Hildy read the script out loud on the train, he got access to a spell and Hildy got access to a spell. Hildy used her spell right away to restore Stud Stampler's eyes, and Stud got his eyes back for episode three, which was cool and gross. Uh, and then <laughs> in a Hail Mary pass where Beth had to roll at disadvantage, she rolled double threes, I think, right? Yes. To 
dispel the uh, the elder god. And essentially, the box was open, and the doodler was coming out, and so Stud Stampler, his new nickname is Clutch for the next 15 seconds, <laughs> uh, managed to banish the god before getting pulled into the ever-expanding wormhole of horrific tentacles along with Hildy. So, Robbie is one with the doodler, Stud and Hildy are in the shadow realm, and... Uh, Meryl's dead. <laughs> Straight dead. He is headless is dead. Jam. So, yeah. Aw, jam. <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsor. Glocky brand moving picture celluloid film. Audiences and directors agree that when you want to capture the sharpest picture on film, shoot on Glocky brand moving picture celluloid film. Shoot an image that will leave its mark on audiences with eye-popping details that leap off the screen. Tell a story that viewers won't be able to get out of their heads. When you want to make a movie that's out of this world, reach for Glocky. I can't wait to get my hands on some Glocky. All right. Um, so, and now for the second half of our sexy little podcast, we're going to get some fan theories from our... Fans. fans questionable fans so first up we had some delightful theories from a friend lily hey guys lily here so i think it's been mentioned a couple times on the discord and stuff that like three purple robed figures equals three grandparents who might potentially be alive but i think it's it could be more than that like i'm wondering if all these people who are like involved in summoning the doodler the first time are like somehow drawn to it or like are destined to summon it and so the grandparents are probably trying really really hard to make sure that they don't summon it and i have this like headcanon thing that lark and sparrow can absolutely feel or sense their grandmother trying to communicate with them and so i just think it would be like so funny if they summoned the doodler thinking they were doing like her bidding or you know were following the nudges that she's been trying to give them the whole time but in reality she's been trying to tell them like stay the fuck away i i just think it would be like so funny and i'm still waiting for it to kind of bubble to the surface because henry called mercedes and he was like get the wiccan circle together you know get all our friends to help like i'm wondering when they're gonna do like you know a seance or something and actually make contact with them because i think that would just be so funny i i I know their phones still work but it would just be so hilarious if they did like you know some weird seance thing and connected to either the purple robed figures or like connected to henry and we're like yeah so basically you just need to not be a shitty dad because if you are a shitty dad our sons will summon the doodler like i think that would just be so hilarious Okay, so Lily, you know, this is the first one we've heard, but I've listened to all these before. And there's a common theme about three purple robes and the three grandparents who quote unquote survived. I think that this is an interesting take because she kind of goes against that, doesn't she? Yeah, I love yeah. I love the idea that the grandparents are like, please, God, don't do this. Yeah, you what morons. the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, I, I mean, because yeah, they they know better. It's it's like every generation. It's like, nope, don't. Don't make that mistake. I made it 20 years ago. No, no. <laughs> I definitely like the idea of a seance where the wives try and rescue or contact the dads. I think that that's very fun. Like imagining the time dilation between our world and, you know, the Forgotten Realms and how the moms are going to get their shit together.
together, basically. Yeah. Especially because that means it has to be a role play session with Anthony and Anthony and Anthony <laughs> talking to himself as women. Better or worse than uh, Peyton and what's his name? The, the bully wug. Worse, because all of the wives have the same voice because he's not doing a voice underneath the oh, yeah. he just kind like, of goes, phone call modulation. Yeah, he just kind of pitches up a little bit like, hey, it's Mercedes. Hey, it's Carol. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Hey, it's Samantha. Yeah, it's- That's it. That was my whole Samantha impression. He just pitches it up and he's happy or angry. Um. All right. Our next theory is a text theory from Pretty Tweety who says- Amod was amazing. I really enjoyed it and thought all the granddaddies slash granddaddy master did an amazing job. My conspiracy theory is that Boreanis wanted to spill the blood of the unsung hero. Larkin Sparrow arranged for a bunch of random citizens to be slaughtered to try and fulfill the prophecy. However, since Hildy's blood was spilt during Amod to bring the Doodler to life, wouldn't it take someone of the same bloodline to resurrect the Doodler? Question mark, exclamation point. Hildy was the original unsung hero. True. Which is why Boreanis probably felt that Henry's blood needed to be spilled. It is probably something in their bloodline. Boreanis didn't even know that he needed Henry's blood. Subconsciously, the Daddy Master is weaving all the stories slash timelines together to eventually destroy us all. Uh, just kidding about the last part, but it'd be pretty cool. Yes, it'd be pretty cool to die in horrifying agony at the hands of the Doodler. Very cool. Or Anthony, I think, is what it implies. Which, That'd I mean, at this point in my life, I'm kind of heading down that track. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Dungeons and Daddies could be a plot to end the world. I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah. It's unassuming. It's fam- family-ish. Right? <laughs> um, well, I completely agree. Hildy is not only my loving wife, but <laughs> she was, like, for sure the hero of Amod, for me at least. Yeah. Um, no. And it, it makes sense that, you know, she's the one who, you know, had the film coming out of her to, like, summon the doodler. And so I think there might just be some subconscious, like, juju happening with the Oak family that, like, Boreanis kind of picked up on. Because if he was being controlled by the doodler or, like, influenced by the doodler, he would sense that, I feel like. I mean, uh, a lot of the theories that we got directly connected, like, Henry's family lineage specifically to the Doodler and what happened in those events. So uh, that's something I'm, like, really vibing with as well. Like, that that family and bloodline is all kind of interconnected with the Doodler. So it makes sense to me that their blood is needed in order to summon it, which kind of makes sense as to why Lark and Sparrow were the ones that were trying to do it. Yeah, and I think from a meta perspective, there was already a lot of lore like centered around the Doodler that was established. Like Lark and Sparrow drew him, like, but also Boreanis was trying to summon him, and that there were the three purple dudes who were... I don't know. I, I I feel like that the purple dudes maybe didn't try to stop the summoning because they couldn't. They stepped in too late. But by the time that all of the lore surrounding the doodler, as we know, has been established, that's when they started recording this. So it felt like that most of the stuff from the show was a one-way counter into the uh, A-mod. And so maybe we'll start seeing kind of the outcome of that. But the doodler hasn't been really involved since A-mod has been recorded, no. right? No, I don't think he's been involved since, like, the first few episodes with Lark and Sparrow, honestly. Right. Yeah, because that's when they mostly wore, like, the jerseys and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was mostly... Doodler was very beginning-heavy, and we haven't seen him or it in a while. Hey, it's first-time caller, uh, long-time listener, Rob. Hey, Sun Squad. Uh, Day one listener, first-time caller, and I'm really excited to talk Mountains of Dadness. Uh, My theory is kind of winding, so I'll try and keep it brief. So, 
Most of the stuff we know about the Doodler from the main canon is in episodes one and episode three. In episode one, we learnt that Sparrow drew the Doodler and he says, direct quote, it was born from his brain and his seed. Uh, we also know from episode one that Daryl has a particular aversion to the Doodler. And in episode two, he says, it looks like a non-terrifying five-legged drawing. Um, it's not really part of the theory. I just think it's cool symmetry that both Daryl and Robert didn't find the Doodler scary. Uh, anyway. When we get to episode three, we get from Boreanus the prophecy of how the Doodler is summoned. He says, there's many doors that can let the Doodler in. And he mentions the Lord of Chaos, who's actually two people. And he says that the Lord of Chaos has to see the blood of an unsung hero being spilt. And then the Doodler is summoned. So you're looking for a doorway. You're looking for a Lord of Chaos, which is two people. And you're looking for that blood getting spilt. Bear with me, but I think there's some parallels. See, if I'm remembering my timeline correctly, in the Mountains of Dadness, the Doodler is summoned immediately after the death of Meryl Streep. Now, Meryl was recast as the protagonist of the new film, but he'd previously been a silent film star. You know what that makes him is an unsung hero. And there was two people there to witness this at the time. Uh, that was Stud and Hildy, who were both later sucked into wherever with the Doodler. Now, jump ahead to the main daddy's continuum. It's really easy for Boreanaz to imagine that Lark and Sparrow are the Lord of Chaos because they're pretty chaotic and they have that drawing of the Doodler. Um, but no unsung heroes, so no Doodler. Now, thinking about the four dads, do any of them match as unsung heroes? At the time, like, didn't make sense. But if we go a little bit further forward, Glenn was originally meant to sing a rock song, but he got beaten to the punch by Ron. He never got to sing. So the direct descendant of Meryl Streep also happens to be, at least in the world of Faerun, an unsung hero. So potentially we've got this like transitory property where like the same people, like the grandchild of the original person is matching the same role. So if that same transitory property persisted, what if Ron and Henry, being the grandchildren of Stud and Hildy, are actually the new archetype of the Lord of Chaos? See, Larkin Sparrow is much more like J.J. Abrams. Uh, they started a cult about the Doodler, but they didn't lead to it finally being like summoning the Doodler. They're more like harbingers than the Lord of Chaos themselves. So if we assume that's true, all we're looking for is a doorway or a passageway through which the Doodler could emerge. Now, it was the unworldly heavy box in Mountains of Dadness, and I think this could be a stretch, but bear with me. My supposition is that the Battle Axe of Hatred, which contains a great demon, is actually the portal through which the Doodler could have appeared in Faerun. And nearly did, except it wasn't Glenn, the unsung hero's blood that was spilled on it, but Ron's that was rubbed onto the Battle Axe of Hatred in episode 20. I think we very narrowly avoided the summoning of the Doodler just because of the wrong blood type, like we got Stampler's blood instead of the unsung hero's blood. Uh, and I guess the moral of that story is that even when blood is spilled, be positive. Everything will be all right. Okay, so Rob was Rob's theory was was very dense, but you know he kind of draws a line between Lark and Sparrow drawing the Doodler, talking about like that cool coincidence about Robbie and Daryl hating the Doodler. We all hate the Doodler. Everyone should hate the Doodler. I love the Doodler. What's wrong with you? Doodler's sexy. <laughs> I mean, I'm into it. Anyway, um, <laughs> I love the unsung hero bit. I think that's hilarious and like so literal. Like I know that it's probably not what it actually means because, oh, so good. I don't know where I was going with that, but I love the fact of Glenn being the unsung hero. 
I actually do really like that narrative echo about how Lark and Sparrow aren't uh, the summoning sacrifice. They're instead the the J.J. Abrams archetype, you know, kind of someone who brings about the summoning of the doodler. And it, it would take the blood of someone except for Ron, where if like Glenn or Henry's blood had, had spilled, maybe that might have summoned the demon. Maybe not. But... You know, I, th- I think that that's an interesting angle to take. Like, when the guitar shows up, like, if the wielder smacks Glenn across the, the cheek and some blood gets on it, that could summon the doodler. And that would be quite an amazing boss fight. Yeah, like a fun post-purple robes. Yeah, like, I would be I would be interested to see because in Amod, uh, combat is so painful. You are going to die if you get into combat. But in Dungeons and Dragons, by the time you're level three, you're like a low level deity. You can wipe out entire villages, you can save people's lives, you can walk on water. So they're well past that point. So they're gearing up to be like godlike in their abilities right now. Amen. I mean, you know, like you said, everything's going to be all right. (laughs) And hopefully they have the abilities necessary to take down an Eldritch God. No, they're just going to bullshit their way through and win. Oh, for sure. They're going to avoid that fight entirely, and a blob monster with tentacles is just going to wreak havoc across Felrin. It's going to be great. Speaking of great, we have another theory from Shay, or Spider Tuxedo. Howdy, y'all. The name Shay, or Spider Tuxedo, everywhere else. A mountain of dadness. That was a wild ride. A mountain of dadness theories. I certainly have one. Let's dive in. How many purple robes are there? That's right, three. How many people technically didn't die? Technically, three. Hildy, Stud, and a case could be made for Robert. But they all did get sucked into what I assume is a chaos hell dimension, because where else would something like the Doodler reside? And so I feel like you can't then live in a chaos hell dimension without gaining some fun spectral powers. So it could be them. The purple robes could be the three of them. But the part where my theory kind of falls apart is the personalities of the robes and then the personalities of the grandparents. More specifically, how the one purple robe reacted to Ron when they took Terry Jr. And instead of that being like Stud or Robert or Hildy, that sounded more like something that Willie, Ron's dad, would have said to him. Because we all know that he's a sociopath, psychopath. One of them. Both. Both. Why not? But I want to know what you guys think, because I do think it's pretty weird that three people didn't die in a mountain of dadness, technically, and there are three purple robes. But yeah, let me know what you guys think. So Shay points out three purple robes, three non-dead Amod characters, but they're very different in their personalities. Plus, there were three robed characters like a month before they recorded Amod, so there's no way that completely dice decided ending could have like fed into the number of purple robe folks right yeah no i feel like it's semi coincidence that it lines up but if anthony takes that coincidence and puts his intentions upon it then i think it could be pretty interesting as to what happens there right although i was listening to this after the the revelation about glenn's wife and i realized that there are now three wives we're seeing three survivors and a lot of people kind of keyed into that but recently three wives three purple robe people no 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 you cannot take the wives from me you cannot you cannot take the wives from me i don't give a fuck about the grandparents but the wives 
You don't even fucking like Carol. I don't even like Carol, and you can't take her from me. <laughs> I mean, though, you like Shay did point out that one of the one of the purple robe freaks was a little bit psychopathic, and hey, Carol, you can take Carol from me. <laughs> I will concede that one, but I will say I do really like the idea that if they were, let's say, the purple robes were. The grandparents, the fact that they spent time in, like, this fun zone and got some, like, fun, cool new powers. I mean, that works. It works with uh, yeah. oh, the theory. And I like I like it. You, you, gotta, you gotta change over your character sheets. I'm sure they got loads of experience that would have taken them up to, you know, level three or something, right? <laughs> right, but <laughs> I think least. they, if we're, you know, understanding the Cthulhu rules correctly which you know i probably am definitely not i mean they would have lost all of their sanity by this point so they theoretically wouldn't be able to function i I think that when you convert it over to 5e kind of the nearest displacement axis would be lawful versus chaotic okay okay i can see that and i mean in like cthulhu mythos like, yes, losing your sanity is, you know, literally going insane, going mad with knowledge. But, I mean, there are occultists out there that do worship these eldritch gods, and they have lost some of their sanity, but they are still very much human and very much thinking about, like, you know, what they're doing for their god, that sort of thing. So the granddads could have, like, crossed a point, maybe, where the, their insanity just flipped back over to, like, pure sanity, and they found that they had these crazy spectral powers at their disposal now and yeah i don't know i'm just speculating that does make sense dungeons daddies is pretty crazy so i guess that if you're pretty crazy you just fit right in right (laughs) wacky wacky (laughs) speaking of wacky (laughs) (laughs) someone else do it i don't want to do it Speaking of terrible transitions, we also have a conspiracy theory from our very good friend, that's what she said, Gramps, on the Discord. Good evening, dads and daddies. Wink, wink. I'm Gramps, and I'm here to share my conspiracy theory with you all. I believe that the Purple Robes are gods who have worked together with the Doodler throughout history to achieve various goals. And yeah, just, I don't know, maybe just to like have something to do because I imagine like being gods in in the dreamscape can get a bit boring. I mean, you want to interact with the happenings of the real world and you kind of want to do something. You want to mingle your dirty god fingers in the business of the people down below but whatever so we as of now know of two almost doodler summonings that have happened i'm sure there's many many more but the first chronologically that we know of happened in um, the mountains of dadness now why do i think that the purple robes are behind this i think that the purple robes are behind this because they you know being gods they knew what was going on in the world they probably saw hitler's dreams and knew that a second world war was about to like they thought no humanity that's not that's no let's let's just end this let's just put the doodler here and then the whole nuclear weapons thing you know 
that's why they chose Oak Ridge as the location of the summoning. They were just like, nah, this this is not going in a good direction. We don't, we don't. Let's let's not do this, guys. So they just went into the dreams of J.J. Abrams and put the seeds in his mind to film A Heart's Greatest Desire. Made him basically the cult leader of this doodler cult in the late 1930s. And yeah, but the dad's grandparents didn't let the world end. And so they had to try a second time apparently um or i don't know i to be honest i don't quite know why they wanted to summon the doodler a second time i mean to be fair who am i to judge i I can't judge this because i'm not a god i'm not living in the dreamscape i have no idea what's going on in faerun in the forgotten realms maybe there's about to be a world war and they were wanted to stop it so they went down to boreana's dreams and were like dude you gotta start this cult it's gonna be fabulous the world is gonna be so much better and maybe it would have been better maybe the doodler works differently and presents itself differently in the different worlds like you know just because in our world it's an agent of chaos and would bring hairs to the fragment of reality and utter randomness and horrible things maybe in Faerun it would have actually led to a better world so I'm I'm not one to judge it also I only know that they did um, the Oak Ridge thing because I know that a second world war did happen I don't know the history of Faerun let alone the future of Faerun so yeah but that's that's where my head's at that the purple robe or gods and yes i just hope that everything will work out but as we know everything's gonna be all right so i really think it's interesting to consider that the purple robes are like other eldritch beings who are trying to gang up with the doodler and just destroy everything yeah, no, I, I totally dig that as a possibility. I mean, there are dozens of Eldritch-style deities, and I mean, Anthony already created one of his own, so why not a few more? Yeah, I, I mean, that that I think maybe fits a little bit more with the mythos, where they're like puppet masters across dimensions, because they can't get into Faerun, otherwise they just would have pulled the boys from the minivan. So, yeah, I, I, I get that, where they're just kind of like chaos gods trying to escape the dream world, I guess. Like, we don't 100% know what they're after. No, we don't. We have almost no idea what they're actually after. For some reason, they had to wait to take the sons from the dads after they had been saved by the dads. There's something weird going on there, but we know nothing about their true goals and their motivations. It's almost like every time that we would uh, try to learn something about their motivations, the dads would just argue with them and then not allow them to (laughs) tell us their motivations. Yeah, no, that tracks. That's exactly what has happened. Crazy. Wacky, wacky. <laughs> like, yeah, like the, 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 the purple robes guys have to have some greater goal than just running a spectral daycare. I, I, I think that this is a good thing to attach their goals and motivations to, uh, you know, the whole doodler return thing. I think it's also good because it's not like completely attached to the plot of Amod, which is like kind of a problem with doing fan theories like this is that you know, they aren't going to release a mod for free. Um, it is going to be like a pay, pay as you will, whatever service. And I think they don't, they're not really trying to release it for free. So tying it in so closely with like the main plot is not going to be ideal. So with this theory, it's like the doodler exists and, you know, that could be like a fun second reveal for everyone on the main podcast to be like, 
yeah, the dude, there's an Eldritch God, and also these purple robes are Eldritch Gods, and they're all vibing in space Miami. Um, and then <laughs> it's, like, a good way to, like, a nod for the AMOD listeners. Yeah, true, true. I mean, this, you know, that kind of puts AMOD as, like, a non-essential prequel. Yeah. Yeah, no, you definitely, I mean, at this point, anyways, you definitely don't need it to enjoy D and Daddies to its fullest. The only thing that I'm thinking, though, is that, granted, it was our fault, but they did put uh, The Witch is Dead into canon as sort of a thing. So it is possible that maybe their plan is to add a mod into the canon even though again us here at the discord that was entirely on us for adding it to the canon <laughs> true true but but i mean it's the same deity it's already canon but i don't think it's an essential part of canon no no it's not not yet okay so speaking of detaching a mod from the main canon we have a theory from bounder and a cad hi everyone um not to be the fun police some anti-fun government agent person. I just have one practical concern with people's fan theories, and I do hope I'm wrong. It's just that Anthony has been good about keeping the paid-for or the Patreon-exclusive content out of the main storyline. So while I think there will probably be Easter eggs, I don't see that the plot of Mountains of Dadness is going to necessarily form an integral part of the main story of Dungeons and Daddies. So I don't see the grandparents being the purple robes i mean like like i say i hope i'm wrong i hope that this is all part of some deeper genius plot of anthony's with interweaving different media and different stories into this this one story that would be really really awesome but i'm a little bit doubtful another thing i wanted to ask is how much do you think anthony expected that ending with everyone either you know dying or being sucked into a hell dimension um, do you think he kind of went, yeah, these guys, that they're definitely going to hell? Or was it just this beautiful accident of storytelling and dice? Thank you. So pretty much Founder and Akkad believes that, you know, Anthony's just going to limit the impact, limit the reach of Amod into the main podcast, which, I mean, we just talked about. So it's, it's very possible. Yeah, totally valid. Like 100% valid. Right. But, that's, but logically, that is what they're going to do. But <laughs> yeah, it's not as much fun, you know, I mean, fun police. Yeah, sorry. Not as much fun to admit that the grandparents are not the purple robes. Probably 100% going to be real, but whatever Anthony comes up with, I hope will be better than, you know, kind of tying it together that way. I think it's also a good thing to note that the whole reason why we're doing this podcast is because we love spinning things completely out of control. So moving on to our final theory, simply entitled theory.txt, this has been attributed to your father and mine, Anthony Birch, age eight, and we merely say uh, that Nikki is a horse girl. So now this one, now this one's interesting. Not really. It's just kind of fact at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's totally valid. Guys, I find <laughs> this one interesting for two reasons. One. Because I guess this is my brand now. <laughs> and two, no matter what I say here, Anthony, middle name Birch, is going to walk his way onto the Discord and be like, Good day, you didn't deny it, you're a horse girl. So it's really interesting, just really just interesting. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he's kind of our number one fan. So what can you mm. say? Mm. You like us, Anthony. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, Anthony, you like me. <laughs> you have untoward feelings towards us. <laughs> 
Oh, oh. oh. oh cut oh. that one. <laughs> oh. All right, and I would like to thank the community for your fan theory contributions. Yeah. Most of them are interesting and impactful and meant a lot for us to get. Yeah. Except for the last one that we read. Except for the last one. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, man. That's some good shit. You know what else is good shit? All of your fan theories. We cannot thank you enough. Yeah. And in the new year, we definitely, you know, will be reaching out more to you all because we do love you. Yeah. And you might actually be able to talk back at us when we trash talk your face. Yeah. Sorry about that. I guess if we trashed your I mean, we're garbage. not dunking on these people. <laughs> wow. A lot of dunking. So okay. much dunking. All and, the dunking. And how do we end this normally? End podcast. Okay. I'm not Beth May, and she's not here to send us out. The music goes here. This podcast was created and produced by a cursed group of volunteers. Talking Sons was mastered and edited by Agniti. Consulting producer is Veet Vujigig. Our theme music is Madness is Everywhere by Lobo Loco. Thanks for listening, and if you'd like to catch the next episode, please don't. It has cursed knowledge in it, but if you'd like to test your sanity, follow us on Facebook or Twitter via at Talking Sons, and you may gain some arcane knowledge. Or not, run away, flee for your life, and your very soul. Henry and Daryl weren't even in this fucking short series. Well, did they kiss? No.